This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Well, happy Canada Day, 150 years young and counting. And a happy July 4th to all our American uh, friends and listeners. Very quickly, here's what's on tap tonight. A busy show as usual. Let's get right to it. We'll, uh, we'll take a look at the state of journalism, <laughs> such as it is, with our esteemed panel tonight after a, a recent undercover hidden camera investigation of CNN by Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. Can CNN still be considered a credible news source? Uh, media scientist Nelson Thal and Morgan Reynolds from NoMoreGames.net will uh, join me next to discuss. I saw an interesting meme in the wake of the uh, the Project Veritas investigation. It was, uh, is that true or did you hear it on CNN? So we'll let you decide. Uh, the supervolcano at Yellowstone National Park has been hit by a swarm of hundreds of earthquakes, hundreds Uh, In recent weeks, more than 400, in fact, have been uh, detected in the area since mid-June, including a four and a half magnitude quake within the park. And uh, researchers say the risk of activating the supervolcano uh, is low. The quakes are nothing to be concerned about. Uh, They're pretty common in the region. However, others believe it's inevitable and only a matter of time before such a disaster takes place. If this supervolcano under Yellowstone uh, were to blow, I mean, this is cataclysmic stuff we're talking about, folks. Uh, Carl Gallops, a, a former law enforcement officer and the author of Be Thou Prepared and uh, When the Lion Roars, uh, says that in a fallen world, disaster is inevitable, and as Christians, we should always be ready to meet catastrophe. And he wrote a special piece for WorldNet Daily on the, uh, or WND, on uh, the... Yellowstone Volcano. He'll check in shortly. What's in the box, of course? Our weekly remote viewing experiment and a mailbag all in the first hour. Then towards the end of hour one. This is an extremely sensitive topic. It's, uh, it's not for the young. It's not for the faint of heart. Sex slavery, child abduction, human sacrifice rituals, pedophile rings, uh, odious and evil 
and it and it happens. It goes on at the highest levels. Author, uh, researcher, good friend of the program, Joseph Farrell, will be here to delve into this taboo subject. Hour two, of course, open lines. And then the host of the most listened to late night radio program in North America, my colleague at uh, Coast to Coast AM, of course, the main host of Coast to Coast AM, George Norrie, will be here to discuss his new book, Mad as Hell. Let me get you a shot of that right now. It just came in the mail, and I'm enjoying it immensely. Mad as Hell which, of course, comes from... Now, this is something that George and I have in common. We both love the 1976 film, Network, starring the late Peter Finch and William Holden and Faye Dunaway. And, um, of course, Peter Finch is uh, the mad prophet of the airwaves, Howard Beale, and his immortal line, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. So we'll find out what George is mad about a little bit later in the program. Uh, and I mentioned, of course, open lines. Let me first introduce the boys in the band on the Flying V Gibson guitar in the other room there, my technical producer, Ian Robertson. Uh, on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, the intrepid Albert Vinzel, story producer. And on the Hammond B3, the uh, story or the producer of my weekly feature, Strange Planet, Ryan White. Gentlemen, welcome to you all. All right, let's uh, very quickly get to our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? And uh, again, I ask all of you remote viewers listening in at home, please tweet your answers or your results uh, to me, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett. Please use the hashtag TCS Remote, TCS, as in the conspiracy show, remote. And... uh, to the highly skilled remote viewer who answers correctly as to the contents of the cigar box on my left, you will be rewarded with some fabulous Conspiracy Show merchandise. Please take a moment and get on up to the uh, online store at theconspiracyshow.com. And if you're a fan of the program, why not show it off by purchasing a mug or a T-shirt or a sweatshirt or a phone case and help support the work we do on the program at the same time. The online store, again, theconspiracyshow.com. And uh, please use the hashtag TCSRemote and send that to my Twitter feed at Richard Serrett. Let me give you the coordinates. The contents are sitting in the box here, this cigar box to my left on my studio desk at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. There you go. Please now allow the shape and the form and the texture and the color and the size of the object in this box to form in your mind. Don't just guess. Remote view. Again, TCS remote, the hashtag TCS remote. All right, let's get started. Uh, James O'Keefe of Project Veritas. If you haven't heard of this uh, guy, he produces secretly recorded undercover audio and video encounters, let's call them, with figures and workers in academia, governmental, and social service organizations, uh, purporting uh, to show abusive or allegedly illegal behavior by employees or representatives of these organizations. Most recently, of course, his investigations have centered around mainstream news organizations, specifically CNN. And on O'Keefe's latest video releases... He captured CNN senior producer John Bonifield on hidden camera, admitting that the Russian Trump collusion story was mainly BS. He called Trump crazy, the president crazy, and the voters 
stupid as all hell or something that to that effect. Later, in another video release, a CNN commentator and the former green tech czar under the Obama administration, Van Jones, uh, was recorded saying that the Trump-Russia collusion story was a big nothing burger. So, what have we learned from all of this? For, for many of us, this is simply further confirmation of what we've been long suspecting, that CNN, like other mainstream media, news media organizations, have made it their mission to take down the Trump administration. Here to discuss is Nelson Thal, media scientist, Marshall McLuhan archivist, assassination researcher, and his website is McLuhanTactics.com. Nelson, hello. How are you? Very good, Richard. Uh, great subject tonight. Um, uh, don't have much time, so we'll All right. Let me, uh, reduce it, but go ahead. All right, and let's also welcome a good friend of the program, Professor Emeritus of Economics at Texas A&M University, former chief economist at the U.S. Department of Labor, and the founder of a great website, nomoregames.net, Morgan Reynolds. Welcome to you, sir. How are you? Hey, very good, uh, Richard, and happy belated Canada birthday. Thank you so much, and a, and a happy fourth uh, to you. All right, let's begin with you, Nelson. These latest James O'Keefe uh, videos, go, are they going to do any real damage, for example? Is anyone who now watches CNN likely to stop watching, or are any of CNN's sponsors likely to pull advertising as a result of these videos? Because I think not. Well, we know today the media is used as a tool for distraction, and uh, so we live in an age of gigantic pictorial illusionism and journalistic exaggeration of concealment, and CNN is part of that process going on. All right, Morgan, are you seeing any any self-reflection here on the part of not just CNN, but the New York Post, the New York Times, ABC, CBS, MSNBC? It seems to me like they're doubling down, digging in their heels. Uh, but I think people, by and large, want to see some self-reflection on the part of the fourth, fourth estate. Any evidence that's going to change, that they're going to change their ways? Well, if you look at the uh, print media... Uh, profits have uh, virtually disappeared, and a lot of them are going to go out of business, and very few tears will will be shed. But what's really embarrassing, uh, I think, to, to my way of thinking, is uh, William Randolph Hearst, back in 1909, he says, get it first, but first get it right. Now, get it right means presumably the truth. And <laughs> And be uh, as objective as you can and uh, factual and well-reasoned. And look at what we've got now in the establishment media. You know, it's Trump derangement syndrome. They've gone berserk, and they're calling the president berserk. Nelson, what do you make of some journalists have fired back that that what O'Keefe is doing is an assault on, on freedom of the press? What do you make of that charge? I say thank God that there's safety in numbers for government whistleblowers. And I think that's the thing. And I want to compliment Morgan Reynolds. It's terrific being on with him because he, from my standpoint, is a terrific government whistleblower who's talking about what's really happening. He's giving us a true version, a focus of reality, whereas the media, they don't want people to see what's really happening. Their, their, their job is to be distracting. Uh, Morgan, have you seen any evidence 
that these recent ed- uh, videos, the John Bonifield uh, video and the Van Jones excerpt, whether th- that they have been edited. And this is the, 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 the common refrain from the mainstream media that James O'Keefe heavily edits these videos and they're taken out of context. Have you seen any indication of that? Well, all video uh, that's displayed virtually is, is edited. But the question is, uh, has any sin of omission or commission been done? I, I put James O'Keefe on uh, the same uh, high ladder as Julian Assange. They haven't found anything that uh, Julian Assange has done to uh, present uh, false documents. And Richard. I think the same is the, the same so far is true of James O'Keefe. In fact, I was so inspired <laughs> by last week's uh, videos that I dug into my own wallet. I said, I want to be part of this. This James O'Keefe is doing, I think, the most important work in terms of burying the establishment media. Nelson, are you a fan of Project Veritas? And yeah, for sure. I think that anything that opens up and gives people some dialogue and isn't propaganda is 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 to be welcomed. I totally agree with uh, with Dr. Reynolds. And uh, I think there's one other thing to consider, which is the people have been dumbed down so much that they can't even handle the truth, as Jack Nicholson told us. That's the real problem. They don't want to even know the truth. But what about the undermining of the credibility of the Fourth Estate? This can't be good for democracy. Are these under cover investigations, uh, are they healthy, or ultimately could they be harmful? I can't see how they'd be harmful at all. What about you, Morgan? Well, the, uh, the, the, the Fourth Estate is being replaced by us <laughs> and yeah, our, exactly. our compatriots on the Internet. So uh, these guys going, going uh, down fighting uh, unfairly, though, that, though it be, but there's, there's a thirst for uh, the truth. And uh, James O'Keefe is going to uh, uh, flourish in uh, putting out more videos uh, that that show how rotten uh, to the core. Now, this is nothing new, of course. That is, uh, back in, you know, Joseph Pulitzer, of Pulitzer Prize for, uh, fame, Yes, uh, he, he, he put his reporters up to uh, fake news about Spanish atrocities. That's right. Uh, his, the his, bombing uh, of the USS Maine in Havana. Yeah. Right. So there's 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 uh, there you know there's been a lot of uh, virtueless uh, journalists along the way. That's true, and uh, you mentioned Randolph Hearst earlier. He was the one that said, uh, "You give me the pictures, and I'll supply the war." So again, yes, nothing new under the sun. It's uh, the bias of the media, the total bias of all communications. And, all right, and, uh, Nelson, I got to just... cut it there. I'm I, yeah. I'm sorry, but uh, Nelson Thal, media scientist, McLuhanTactics.com. McLuhanTactics.com and uh, Morgan Reynolds, NoMoreGames.net. Thank you both, gentlemen. Good night, Morgan. Good night, Richard. Coming up next is the supervolcano beneath Yellowstone National Park about to blow. Some scientists say it's overdue. Best-selling author Carl Gallops will be here next to discuss. Welcome back. Coming up at the uh, bottom of the hour, the big reveal of What's in the Box, our weekly remote viewing experiment, mailbag, of course, and uh, Joseph Farrell on an unspeakable evil, satanic ritual, child abuse, sex slaves, human trafficking. While Pizzagate may have been widely discredited, uh, they were focusing on a location 
a pizza joint in Washington, D.C., and, and ignoring the bigger picture here, which is the fact that these pedophile rings exist and the participants uh, can be found uh, in high circles in the, the world of uh, politics, religion, corporations, you name it. Joseph Farrell will be uh, coming up before the top of the outer hour. And uh, just a uh, heads up, coming up in hour two, open lines, and then the host of Coast to Coast AM, George Norrie, uh, is here with a brand new book called Mad as Hell. We'll find out what George is mad about. Well, uh, something else that seems to be agitated these days is this super volcano beneath Yellowstone National Park, a swarm of earthquakes. They call it a swarm of earthquakes since mid-June, something like 400 earthquakes uh, some are fearing that this could have a, a triggering effect and cause the supervolcano to blow, which would be absolutely cataclysmic. Some scientists claim it's overdue for an eruption. It has erupted in the ancient past. Uh, and um, some are saying the, the, uh, the odds are quite low that uh, these earthquakes will have any um, impact on the, uh, the supervolcano. But here to discuss uh, is a long time, the longtime pastor of... Hickory, um, Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. He's a former law enforcement uh, officer, the author of a number of books, including Be Thou Prepared, When the Lion Roars, Final Warning, Warning and he has another big one coming out this fall. He, uh, he says that in a fallen world, disaster is inevitable, and Christians should always be ready to meet catastrophe. Carl Gallops, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Richard Serrett, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Looking forward to this. So I read your, your piece uh, that uh, was kind of an exclusive for WND. Yes. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. Why is Carl Gallup's weighing in on all of this seismic activity going around Yellowstone National Park? Why is that of such keen interest to you? You didn't know that I was a seismic expert? <laughs> I did not. Yeah. <laughs> I know you wear many hats, but... Uh... Yeah. No, I'm not, and I certainly don't claim to be. And uh, But but listen, th- those kinds of things interest me, and of course, of course, the folks at WND knew that and uh, asked me if I would give some comments, and just from a Christian and biblical perspective. And so I did a little research, of course, before I uh, gave the interview, and um, I think that either I'm quoted in there and or the article speaks of it. I don't have it right in front of me, but I remember that um, in, in, searching, in searching out this um, uh, the, the the information about the seismic activity around Yellowstone. Apparently that's been going on for quite some time, but there has been a swarm lately, which has caused people to, uh, you know, to, to take note, and some have been opining and predicting and prognosticating on, on what it might mean. Could there be a, a big eruption? And, you know, uh, I can't remember now. I think it was about a year ago. Several mainstream media sources, I believe it was CNN was one of them and a couple of others, uh, keyed in on this because there was some seismic activity that was a little unusual in that area. And so they brought in some, uh, uh, some major uh, uh, mainline scientists to speak of it and people that are, um, uh, that, that are uh, adept at understanding these things. Um, what's what's the gentleman's name? Uh, it's a Japanese name. M- M- Michio Kaku. Yeah, yeah, Michio yeah. Kaku. Yeah, yeah. He. I remember reading some articles from him. And the bottom line is this: Look, uh, apparently the odds of there being a super volcanic eruption in that area are very, very low. 
Um, however, e- even even in light of this swarm of uh, of of activity, but the thing is, they you know they they've run all the models and they've said you know if this thing does blow in a super volcanic uh, eruption, it could you know have absolutely devastating devastating impact upon the United States a good a sizable portion of the United it States. It would be like a nuclear winter. It, yeah. it would change the entire global climate. It would devastate one half of the continental United States, to be yeah. certain. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that's what the models show. And again, I'm not the scientist, but that's what the scientists are saying. So, listen, so, so I agreed to do the interview uh, graciously, and they were gracious enough to ask my opinion on it, uh, because here's, here's my take on it, Richard. You know, listen, we're, we're just here for a few decades anyway, right? I mean, 60, 70, 80 years if we're blessed, right? That's right, you know? that's right. So, we're all listed day to day. Yeah, that's right. You know, every day's a gift. I mean, we can sit around and worry about a super volcano to, today, and tomorrow a semi-truck can run through a red light, and we're, we're standing before the Lord. So uh, the, the bottom line is, is that I don't live my life in anxiety and anxiousness. Uh, you know I deal a lot. I, I, I study a lot, preach a lot, teach a lot, uh, and write uh, several books, write a lot about the prophetic days in which we're living. I don't set dates, though. I don't, uh, you, you know, run around screaming the sky is falling. But here's what I try to do in a balanced way, Richard. I'm trying to wake up the church and the world, and but particularly the church in the U.S. and Canada and around the world, that has largely fallen asleep to the prophetic times in which we're living. Now, if this supervolcanic uh, eruption phenomena and the earthquake swarms that people are anxious about, even scientists are weighing in on, this is not some conspiracy stuff and back-channel, you know, uh, alleys. This is mainstream science. And and so my, my take on it is, look, if we can get people's attention and say, look, look, the Word of God tells us we live in a fallen creation. Natural disasters are a part of life. If the supervolcano blows in our lifetime, yes, more than likely it will be devastating. In the meantime, there are all manner of other devastating things that can happen. The San Andreas Fault could collapse into the Pacific Ocean. People are talking about that. Excuse me, I'm not trying to laugh about something horrific, but but we know those things can happen. I live in Hurricane Alley on the Gulf Coast. We've been devastated down here by Katrina and Ivan and Dennis, you know, and and we saw what happened. Look at New Orleans. Look at they put them back in the Stone Ages for for weeks and even months. So I, what I'm trying to do is just to wake up the church. You've got natural disasters that are always looming because the Word of God tells us we live in a fallen creation. The whole creation is groaning. And the Bible says, and I'm paraphrasing here for lack of time, but the Bible's clear that as it gets closer to the Lord's return, and again, I am not setting dates, but I can tell you what, Israel came back to the land next year, it will be 70 years. Mm. And then when you consider all that's happening in the Middle East, all that's happened to Israel, everything right. that's happening with ISIS and the collapse of the Middle East well, and when Russia, you talk about, China. When you talk about prophecy, uh, Carl, uh, I mean, and, and in your, your previous book, When the Lion Roars, uh, you, you, know, you, you talk about how many of the, today's headlines sort of match up with, with, uh, with prophecy. Is there anything uh, in prophecy that might hint at something like a Yellowstone volcanic eruption. 
Yes, and that's where I was headed. And that's what I'm saying is that with all of the other solid, biblically biblically uh, spoken of signs that are right before our eyes, or return Israel, the specific alignment of nations spoken of in Ezekiel 38 that are happening for the first time in history, right before our eyes, only in our generation. When you add up all of those things that are so clear, then when you start dealing with scriptures that speak of in the last days, major earthquakes, uh, monumental earthquakes, uh, uh, signs in the heavens, uh, uh, signs that uh, in, in the roaring of the sea, whatever exactly that will wind up meaning. I mean, it speaks of natural phenomena, natural disasters that also occur in the time of the, quote, end before the return of Jesus Christ. And I know, Richard, that there are various uh, eschatologies about the, you know, a rapture and the rapture date, and will the rapture happen before all of this bad stuff happens? Bottom line is, Richard, I'm trying to wake up the church. Look, I'm not arguing about rapture dates, but I'm trying to tell the church that has largely fallen asleep in America and in Western nations. I'm trying to tell the church bad things are happening. Ask our brothers and sisters in China, in North Korea, in 63 Muslim nations of the world. Ask our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, in Iraq. Ask our brothers and sisters that by the tens of thousands have come under the the horrific slaughter and and threat of ISIS and the borders collapsing in Europe and the United States and and, 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 uh, uh, the Department of Homeland Security tracking ISIS cells in all 50 states of the United States. I'm telling you. And so when I see this headline about this super volcano and people wringing their hands, and I, I look at the statistics, I see it, I say, okay, well, you know, there's not a lot we can do about it. Um, and, 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 and you can see this swarm of activity. Is that, could that be a warning sign of something soon to happen? It could be. But the scientists also say that statistically speaking, in our generation, it probably won't blow. Probably. But, you know, oops, if it does, oh, well, we're wrong. <laughs> and well, half the United States is gone. Right. I think they, they put the odds at something like one in 700,000. But, but it is only, it has blown in, in the past. It will blow again at some point in the future. It's not a question of if, it's when, right? Yes, well, apparently so, yeah. I mean, other than the hand of God, other than the return of the Lord before it happens, and, and everything is made right, and the restitution of all things, as my good friend Joseph Farah's last book's title is, uh, occurs, other than that, yes, I mean, yeah, it, it will happen. But, again, I, I was asked to do that interview, and I was so honored that I had the opportunity to speak to it, because after speaking to the Yellowstone uh, potential disaster and the odds for it or against it, it gives me the opportunity to say to Christians everywhere, listen, listen, it's not about one particular disaster here or there. It's about we are living in the most prophetic time since the first coming of Jesus Christ. I don't set dates, and I don't advise Christians to run around wringing their hands and living in anxiety. The Bible tells us not to do that. We have been raised up to be the salt and the light. We have been raised up to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And this is our time. This is our generation. We're looming on the potential of a World War III. Brother, the stuff of world wars is happening right before our eyes. The Bible does predict, in the very last days, a World War III-type scenario. Well, as we sit here tonight, uh, uh, Carl, uh, the, the president is talking about uh, getting together with the, the leadership in, in China and Korea and uh, South Korea and Japan to discuss military options for North Korea. So yes. my, uh, my we point. are walking on eggshells. 
Yes, we are walking on eggshells, and, and, and that's, that's what I'm saying. This is the stuff of World War III. I'm not saying that this is World War III. I'm not saying World War III is going to break out tomorrow, but this is how world wars are formed. We've only had two world wars, and they've been in our historical generation. Uh, it was uh, just 100 years ago that the first world war was here. Now we're, just, we're 100 years out, and we're talking about number three. And, and, and World War I and World War II, those are the only true global wars that we have to measure. Both of them took decades to foment and to begin. World War I took about 40 years of building and building and building and building and political intrigue in this nation and that nation and this, uh, uh, this uh, occurrence and this phenomenon, and then boom, it was on. World War II really grew out of World War I. It was really nothing more than a continuation of World War I. It took a couple of decades. It was the rise to power of Hitler and this political intrigue and that political intrigue and this nation and that nation. And a couple of decades later, boom, it was on. We're watching the same kind of stuff happening right now. We've seen this movie before and yep. we know how it ends. Carl, uh, let me uh, direct people to your website, carlgallops.com, C-A-R-L, Gallops, G-A-L-L-U-P-S, carlgallops.com. Where can they listen to you on uh, Freedom Friday, the radio program? That's correct. And just go to carlgallops.com, click on anything that says Freedom Friday. It'll take you to a live feed right there. Plus, we have all of our archives. All right, Carl, looking forward to the new book. We'll talk about that more later. Thank, Thank you, you, my friend. All right, when we come back, the big reveal of our weekly remote viewing experiment plus mailbag. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, welcome back. Coming up after the uh, next break, Joseph Farrell, he of GizaDeathStar.com, always posting terrific blogs and uh, written about 30 books. And uh, we will talk about something uh, odious, insidious, absolutely evil, uh, that it does exist in this world. It's kind of one of those taboo topics, and, um, and that has to do with highly organized uh, pedophile rings. Child abduction rings, sex slavery, human trafficking, and the fact that it does exist in very high circles. It couldn't go on in such an organized fashion unless it was with the, uh, the assistance of some people in pretty high places. So Joseph Farrell will be here to talk about that. Uh, right now, however, it is time uh, for our weekly remote viewing experiment results. First of all, before we uh, do the big reveal, let's go around the horn here. And uh, Ian, my technical producer, my fine rockabilly friend, what's in the box? Uh, I'm seeing something red tonight. Can you be a little more specific? Flat. Flat and Maybe red. a piece of paper that's red. A flat piece of red paper. All right. Albert. I have to say Happy World UFO Day, <laughs> July 2nd. Happy World UFO Day. All right. Uh, it's a, my guess. I'm going to guess Native American dream catcher. Other than I'm just drawing a blank. A Native American? Did you actually see that? Did that come to you? or? It's just off the top of my head. <laughs> all right. And over to you, Ryan. You know, I didn't see anything at all tonight because I, I think I got a bit distracted reading the guests on Twitter. 
and I kind of blocked any of my ah. own thoughts from forming. But right. There are a lot of really good guests on Twitter. All right, let's get to those Twitter uh, tweets. A, a ton of great guesses. Uh, Alan thinks it's a blue ice scraper. All right. Mike, a pencil. Uh, Mr. Meeps, a remote control. Uh, David, a small light bulb. YY, a garden tool, maybe a spade. John thinks it's snake skin, maybe a shed snake skin. Interesting. Um, Morgan, I like this guess a lot. Uh, thinks it's a Canadian flag. All right. That's a good one. Uh, Daniel, a blue metal tin container. James, a kazoo. Uh, Connor, a cigar or cigarette. Amanda, a pocket watch or stopwatch, gold and round. Mm-hmm. And Jamie thinks it's some sweet and low sweetener. Hashtag <laughs> fake sugar. <laughs> fake sugar for fake news. All right. Well, sadly, um, nobody was really in the ballpark this time around. It's a Rubik's Cube. It's one of those four-sided Rubik's Cubes. And um, my little guys, this was like real popular in the early 80s, and now it's back again. My little guys love it. And uh, they, can, they can solve the four-sided one pretty quickly. Uh, I'm still trying to get the original one out of the box. That's, <laughs> I can't figure it out how to unwrap that thing. Anyway, there you go, Rubik's Cube. Well, we'll try again next week. And uh, again, uh, TCS Remote, hashtag TCS Remote. You can tweet me at at Richard Serrett, our weekly remote viewing experiment. What's in the box? Thanks for playing. Oh, uh, before we get to the mailbag, I just wanted to mention this. This came, speaking of mail, this came in the mail today. A uh, good friend of the program, Don Jeffries, who's been with us uh, many times on the show. This is his, uh, I've mentioned this before, but the book is now, I believe, t- tomorrow, July 4th. It's out, available. He's been taking uh, pre-orders on Amazon. Um, it's called Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Dis- uh, Disparity of Wealth Created the great- Greatest Conspiracy of All. Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries. And um, congratulations, uh, Don, on the book. And I, I also want to mention it because you may notice on the bottom there, it says Forward by Richard Serrett. Don asked me to write the forward. I was very honored to do so. And um, there you go. It's published by Skyhorse. So... I have no skin in this game other than having my name on the front cover and below Don Jeffries, the author. But um, when it came out as a pre-order a couple of months ago, it was it debuted as the number one economics book, I believe, and number in the top two or three in international economic books. So we hope the book does very well for Don Jeffries, and we'll have to get him back on the program. All right. Now... Occasionally, we get some uh, email, some of it uh, some of it complimentary, and some of it not so much. Uh, what do we have in the mailbag, Albert? Uh, the first one is a bit harsh. It's uh, the not-so-much category. Uh, first name, Stefan. Listened for the first time. Realized very c- quickly that you are in the business of propaganda. Mm. A mouthpiece for the status quo. You allow an outlet for this disturbed, yet it is anchored in deception. Staged callers to reinforce the agenda. Shame. Uh, he said, I think he said, I should be ashamed of myself. Oh, I'm, yeah. I, how do I sleep at night, Albert? Well, first of all, um, boy, how do we respond to that? Propaganda. Well, one man's opinion, I suppose, is another man's propaganda, and we do have a lot of uh, opinion on here. Some of it's controversial. Uh, if you want to deem it propaganda, well, fine. That's fine. Um, I don't. I don't think I've ever pretended that this is a uh, um, you know journalism. Listen, we talk about a lot of different things in this program. Everything from UFOs to Bigfoot to targeted individuals to you know s- deep state and shadow governments and 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 heavy conspiracy. So um, 
I'm sure much of what you hear could be considered as propaganda. Uh, but, you know, it's opinion. It's and, opinion. And, and uh, I don't apologize for that. And and I'm sh- sure Ian and I and Ryan can back up. There's never been any staged calls on the, st- on the show. In fact, we, we barely screen at all. It's, no, well, it's pretty much we, open lines. We don't uh, – well, we, we do screen to make sure that they have something of interest to say. We don't allow hate on the, on the program. That's one thing we screen for. In ter- is he talking about staged phone-in calls or is he yeah. talking about the guests that we have on? No, I'm not I, I really think sure. he's talking about staged phone-in well, calls. Well, uh, no, I, I can certainly um, uh, swear – um, on the Bible, that we do not uh, we do not vet callers that way. I mean, if people want to come on and talk about whatever, that's fine. Um, but he's able to to make all of these determinations based on one listening of the program. So, oh well, so you know that's, what? That's it's we're it's living the in effect a, of fake news. <laughs> we're living in a free country. Oh, very quickly, we, um, a, a good friend of the program also who joins us from time to time in the live chat, uh, Dave Shock uh, from. CubeSat for Disclosure was on with us recently. We had some medical news about Dave. Uh, it's, there's a GoFundMe campaign, GoFundMe, emergency medical expense, and Dave fell and hit his head and needs an oxygen tank so he doesn't get these recurring some, headaches. Yeah, some, some oxygen therapy. Dave had yeah. a nasty fall. So, Dave, if you're listening, actually, I know he's, um, he's listening. Uh, we wish you a speedy recovery, and um, we wish you all the best. All right, when we come back, organized pedophile rings, child abduction rings. Not for the faint-hearted, not for the young. Please be advised. Joseph Farrell joins us on the other side. Stay with us. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Coming up after the uh, top of the hour, open lines, and then the one and only George Norrie, my esteemed colleague and the host of Coast to Coast AM, has a brand new book out. This is his seventh book, and this one's Mad as Hell. And uh, just a quick programming note, I will be, uh, I'll be sitting in the air chair at Coast to Coast on uh, July 29th and 30th. Here's the thing. George, always call, I call him the hardest working man in show business. He's going to come on the program. Uh, in just under an hour, and then he'll immediately be hosting Coast to Coast tonight. So the man never stops. All right, we'll look forward to that conversation. Uh, this one, well, it's a delicate one. It's uh, it's a taboo one. Again, I warn you, listener discretion strongly advised. This is not for the young and for the faint-hearted, but it's something that needs to be talked about. Talked about. Um, just prior to the uh, the U.S. President, uh, presidential election, there was a a huge cache of uh, leaked email exchanges published by WikiLeaks, of course. And some of them uh, contained what appeared to be coded messages referring to human trafficking and pedophilia. Uh, The episode became known, of course, as Pizzagate after it was alleged that a number of restaurants, including uh, a well-known pizzeria in Washington, D.C., were bases for satanic ritual child abuse. Now, the Pizza, Pizzagate story was widely discredited, uh, but there can be no doubt that such pedophile rings exist, highly organized pedophile rings, at the highest levels in corporate and political circles. Sex slavery, child abduction rings, human traffic, or sorry, human sacrifice rituals. These things exist and they must be exposed. Joseph Farrell, 
has written about this recently on his uh, uh, website, GizaDeathStar.com. He investigates highly f- high financial fraud, international banking, hidden systems of finance, black budgets, and breakaway civilizations. He's the author of, I think it's around 30 books now, very prolific, uh, including Hidden Finance, Rogue Networks, and Secret Sorcery, The Fascist International, 9-11, and Penetrated Operations. A great pleasure to welcome back to the program, Joseph Farrell. Joseph, how are you? Pretty good, my friend. Thank you for having me back on. It's been too long, and uh, I, Albert just reminded me uh, that we have to have you back on again soon to talk about this, all of this Nazi uh, uncovering of Nazi uh, artifacts and so forth in Argentina. Right. right. Uh, but this, uh, uh, another odious topic to be sure. Let me ask you first, right out of the gate, about Pizzagate. It seems to me that everyone was quick to sort of latch on to this pizza joint and say, well, obviously there's no evidence. And so they they dismissed everything uh, without focusing on what appeared to be, you know, pretty blatant coded messaging in those leaked emails. What did you make of the whole handling of the Pizzagate story? Well, to be honest with you, Richard, I wasn't very satisfied with it. Um, You know, I'm not in the media, so I don't know exactly how media normally operates when they have stories like this, but I wasn't very satisfied with it because I had the feeling that the story broke and then there was an initial attempt to kind of investigate and then everything just kind of died. It, you know, I had the feeling that nobody really wanted to talk about this. Precisely. And to me, it's very disturbing, Richard, because it fits a pattern. If you go back, um, let's say maybe 30 years ago, you may remember the Franklin scandal that, that broke in Nebraska. And yes. This, to me, Richard, this was a very important story because it, it set the same sort of pattern that you saw with the Pizzagate story. There were allegations of trafficking, of, of abuse of, of minors, of um, uh, just horrible uh, types of, of ritual abuse things. There, there, were, there was very little attempt in the major media at that time to investigate that story. But there have been some investigators that have pursued it since then. That was really the first story, the first really good story that we had enough evidence that we could latch on to. That's what I find so disturbing here. Yeah, it seemed to me that they focused on the restaurant and said, yeah. well, there's no basis, there was nothing found, therefore right. everything else related to that story must not be true. And yet exactly. we have these emails that no one has refuted. Exactly. And this this is the problem, Richard. There's There's been no attempt to follow up the pattern here because let's be honest if if you have a a practice of of this sort where you're actually engaging in human trafficking in in ritual abuse uh in human sacrifice to to carry off this activity you have to have organization and you have to have financing and the most disturbing thing that was kind of implicated in some of those emails that came out during that story and even going all the way back to the franklin scandal there were indicators that this was something that was not a local nor even a regional phenomenon and this is the problem that i see there has been no attempt by anybody that i'm aware of either in the mainstream media or even the alternative media to look at these stories and attempt to see if there's any dots that that can be connected between them. There have been occasionally in this country, I, I can't speak for your country, but occasionally in this country there have been people who've attempted to connect dots in some of these stories, 
and then they end up dead or they have the convenient heart attack or they conveniently run off a road. So, you know, it's to me there's a pattern here, Richard. You can't have these types of activities without organization, and that's not ever been investigated. And cover-ups. And we cover-ups. have the, the Jimmy Savile case in, uh, with the BBC. In, Obviously, right. there was. we know there was a concerted effort to, 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 to hush that story, and yet yep. this man was allowed to uh, uh, abuse and destroy lives for decades. Yes. Yeah. And this is the problem. We have these stories that appear like icebergs above the surface. But the way it looks to me, uh, Richard, if you examine these stories when they first appear, you know, when before the spin sets in, when you examine these stories, there there's always this kind of recurrent pattern. There's somebody uh, very highly placed in political circles or in financial circles that's doing this, uh, they're in swanky neighborhoods. You have miners involved. You have an organization or allegations of organization used to transport people in these rings. So, in other words, there's, there's a pattern that comes out in these stories, but yet nobody wants to look at all of these stories and view them whole. And this is the problem I have with it. I think there's something going on here. I think there's something worldwide, yes. to be quite frank with you. Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, the, the, I think the truth is even scarier than we can possibly imagine. Probably. In your blog, you, you, you talked about the recent arrests, this operation, the Department of Homeland Security, that busted this U.S. sex slave ring between right. Thailand. Uh, and right. you talk about all of these visas that they were able to bring these uh, sex slaves into the United States on these phony visas. How did they get the visas if these people were not connected by to someone on the inside? Yes, on the inside. And this implies financing. This implies an organization for transport. This implies uh, regional, if you will. I hate to, to, to use this kind of language, but this implies regional distribution centers. So in other words, you're dealing with a high degree of organization here. Now, I'm moderately encouraged by the fact that the people in Congress and, and the Trump administration appear to be wanting to investigate some of this and bring it out. But the problem is, is we are, as you've pointed out, you have the Savile case in the United Kingdom. That case goes all the way back to the government of Prime Minister Edward Heath. So in other words, this is also something that's not just organized. This has been going on for quite a while. And this is what I find disturbing, that every time that there has been an attempt to coordinate international efforts to investigate this stuff, it gets shut down. So I think, you know, the problem here, folks, is is we need not only national investigations and state or province investigations, we need an international body that's competent to start looking into this, Interpol or somebody, because this is not confined to this country or, or to Canada or to Great Britain. I think this is all over the world. Thailand, as, as you mentioned. Right. The other thing that happens is the, 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 there's usually one person... Um, as is often the case, right. that is sort of uh, brought to justice. And it's right. some low-life serial killer, as in the case of Marc Dutroux in, in, uh, in Belgium, right. um, who was a, you know, a pedophile and a child killer. But no one, to my knowledge, followed up on Dutroux's claims that, that, uh, that he was basically rounding these people up for very, very highly placed yes. politicians in Europe. And, Richard, I'm so glad you mentioned that case, because if you go back to the early 1920s in Southern California, there was a very famous case of a serial murderer, a pedophile, that was called the Wineville Chicken Coop Murders, 
uh, it was a Canadian-American fellow by the name of Gordon Northcutt that was actually caught, apprehended, tried, convicted, and executed for those murders. But after his conviction, he maintained repeatedly that he had been doing this for very, very wealthy people. And go on to to the allegations of Corey Heim and some of the other people, childhood actors in Hollywood, that have said that there are these rings in Hollywood, they do ensnare minors. None of this has ever been investigated. You know, so I'm thinking, what does it take? But there's a pattern here. The Dutro case is almost an exact copy of of the of the California uh, Wineville Chicken Coop murders. So this is the problem. Nobody's investigating this stuff. Right. Then we have, of course, Jeffrey Epstein and the Lolita Express. Yes. uh, And we have a former president who slipped away from Secret Service and flew on that plane multiple times. Yes. Uh, This, it just, it stinks to high heaven. And yet nobody, these people seem to be untouchable. Well, if it's at that high of a level, you know, one of the things that they're obviously using this activity for is to blackmail people. You know, these are these are what Catherine Austin Fitz likes to call the control files. Right. You know, and, you know, it's a thoroughly bipartisan activity because, you know, President G.H.W. Uh, Bush was implicated in the Franklin scandal business. It didn't touch him directly, but there were things that took place in the White House. So there's something going on here by way of a power organization that's using these activities, quite frankly, I think, to blackmail politicians, to blackmail bankers, media people, and so on. All right, uh, Joseph, thank you for this. We'll have you back on soon to talk about the Nazi artifacts in Argentina. In the meantime, uh, GizaDeathStar.com, the website, and uh, Hidden Finance, Rogue Networks, and Secret Sorcery, the Fascist International, 9-11, and Penetrated Operations. Always a pleasure, Joseph. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Ron Richard. All right. Open lines on the other side, and then George Norrie is mad as hell. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. On Zoomer Radio. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home, long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Welcome to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740, 96.7 FM in the greater Toronto area. All of you watching the the YouTube live stream, and uh, those of you who join us every week. So dedicated, so supportive on the uh, the live chat on YouTube. Uh, those of you who uh, catch us on the podcast at iTunes and TuneIn.com, Stitcher Radio, TalkZone.com. Uh, let's not forget the um, the apps, the Zoomer Radio app and the cons- uh, the Conspiracy Show app, both free downloads, so you can take us with you wherever you go on your mobile device. And... Um, what else? I think that covers it. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Open lines now until the bottom of the hour, and then we'll be joined by George Nori, And uh, he has a new book out called Mad as Hell. And uh, we're delighted to have uh, George with us, and he's prepping as we speak back in uh, Los Angeles for uh, Coast to Coast tonight. And uh, so good of him to join us just before showtime. So... 
We'll talk to him about that. All right, let me give you the phone numbers because those are kind of handy when you're doing a phone-in show, I always find. Uh, Jot these down, uh, 416-360-0740. That's the greater Toronto area. And then toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. All right, uh, before we get to the phones, just a a heads-up on uh, next week's program. Uh, Jeffrey Smith, the author of Seeds of Deception, will be with us to talk about uh, genetically modified organisms, GMOs. And uh, then we have Rosemary Ellen Guiley, of course, our paranormal investigator, will join us in the second half. Open lines, another what's in the box, remote viewing experiment. Uh, our panel will be back. And um, jam-packed, as always. That's uh, next week. And then the following week, uh, Albert, we're, uh, we're, we're working on our big uh, special program on targeted individuals. The entire program mm-hmm. will be on targeted individuals. So we'll have a, a panel we have uh, Dr. John Hall. Uh, who else is on that panel? Uh, it's John Rappaport. John Rappaport. Michael Fitzhugh Bell. And uh, we're, we're looking, the last half hour, we're trying to get solutions. Like, how to defend? That's right. Them. That's right. We've been trying to track down uh, Roger Tulsas from bugsweeps.com. Uh, so the, uh, in two weeks' time, we'll do the entire program. will be dedicated to targeted individuals. And this is kind of cool, but we're getting John Rappaport to come on. I don't know that he's ever talked about this on the air. Um, but um, I know a number of people in, uh, a number of victims and also advocates in the targeted individual community, if I can use that term, have asked me about getting John Rappaport. They so respect this gentleman, as do I, that, that they, they wanted him to weigh in on this. So we'll do that. Uh, that's coming up in two weeks' time. All right, uh, let's just dive in right now, and uh, let's see. Let's say hi to uh, Gary is checking in from California. Gary, welcome. Oh, thank you very much, Richard. Um, you don't have to respond to this with your own opinion, but I have been looking all over the Internet for a cause of death or a time of death um, of our Gary Patterson, I have not been able to find one, so my flags are a little up. Is there any reason at all for one to suspect, either through um, closing off a heart valve psychically, which I believe can be done according to Bob Monroe, or any other deep state involvement in his death, because I think he was very close at putting the pieces together between George Norrie's aunt dying by the AM radio jumping in the tub, the, the Big Bopper, and Buddy Holly, whose plane I do believe was taken out, and especially with Seth Rich and Trump's tweet this morning, which happened on the exact same time as the atomic test that was conducted in Alamogordo, New Mexico, of the bomb uh, that would 30 days later destroy Nagasaki. And I think Gary was on to something, and it all has to do with uh, timing, the occult, and astrology. Wow. Uh, well, Gary, that's pretty heady stuff. Let me tell you something. I, uh, I went to Gary's funeral down in the Knoxville area. 
Um, it was sudden, but Gary was not well. And um, you're not going to find those sorts of things published online. I mean, those are very personal uh, things uh, in terms of the time of death. I happen to know the, the window of the time of death and the day and the, the roughly the hour and so forth and the circumstances. Uh, and um, no, I mean, <laughs> listen, anything is possible, but... Not that. No, Gary was not well. Still taken to us uh, too soon, or from us rather, too soon. He was 67, and as I say, he was he had a number of of health concerns. Um, but the stuff that Gary wrote about and researched, uh, you know, this is not deep state kind of stuff. This is not the kind of stuff that people get uh, taken out for. You know, this was great rock and roll uh, legends and and. Um, uh, I mean, yes, he talked about the Buddy Holly curse and 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 so forth, but no. Let me let me rest assured. Let me uh, but, let me. Peggy Sue said that she thought it was deep state when I listened to her interview with you. She didn't exactly call it. She just said powers that wanted to stop rock and roll, and those powers were working on AM radio, which George Norrie's aunt was working with Crystals and AM radio, mm-hmm. along with Bob Monroe enhancing remote viewing with AM radio. You look at how good you are, how good uh, uh, George Norrie is, AM radio and remote viewing and remote influencing Hmm. all go together with the deep state. And it goes back to World War II and the occult and the Nazis, which infiltrated the deep state, in my opinion. Yeah, it's uh, listen, it's a fascinating uh, topic, but, you know, out of respect for Gary uh, and his family, uh, it's just it's that's a delicate one, you know, to broach. But I don't I don't believe that in this case. I, yeah, that's why I said you didn't need to comment. Uh, but you know what? That's the same thing that Seth Rich's family is saying, almost identical. All right, Gary in California, thank you for checking in. I will say this: uh, that uh, Gary Patterson found a kind of an interesting uh, date to check out on. Gary loved to talk about. Of course, his first book was uh, The Walrus Was Paul, which was all about the sort of dismantling the Paul is dead legend that sprang out of the 1960s, the late 1960s, with a phone call to a, a rock station in Detroit, one in New York, and all of these clues, supposedly, that led to Paul McCartney dying in a car crash in 1966, being replaced by a, a lookalike and so forth. And then the Beatles, the surviving Beatles, felt so guilty about that, they left all these death clues in their lyrics and... More specifically, on the uh, in the album art on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So that was, I believe, one of Gary's favorite albums. We talked endlessly about it, not only on the radio, but just, you know, whenever we got together on the phone and so forth. And uh, Gary died May 26th, 2017, the 50th anniversary to the day of the release of Sgt. Pepper. So uh, I guess if he was going to check out on a certain date, he picked a good one. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, Drew is in Mississauga. Drew, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. So I'm not sure if this would ever go against your personal beliefs, maybe even Zoomers. I'm not too sure. But would you ever be willing to debunk the possibility, uh, the power behind a Ouija board uh, on air, maybe, you know, for a special occasion like Halloween? I think think it's a great topic. In fact, um, we... Let's see. We did an episode on the TV show on the um, on spirit communication. Uh, I'm trying to think when that may have aired or whether it 
and we started working on it anyway. And there's a gentleman who developed uh, these. They're kind of like they're sensors that go on on your uh, on your fingertips, and then they're wired to some contraption. And then you were a- he was able to determine whether the person participating in the Ouija session was u- was was using you know their own power to push mm-hmm. the uh, the planchette around the board. The light things would light up and so forth. I don't understand the technology exactly, but that's that's what the technology was designed to do. Was um, not to say that necessarily all Ouija board sessions are, are hoaxes, but in those instances where someone was pushing the planchette, it would it would uh, it would catch them in the act. So um, absolutely, I mean, I, listen, I I, I don't uh, deny the, a very strong possibility that the vast majority of Ouija sessions um, are either. Uh, willingly or unwitting, unwittingly, um, uh, hoaxes. Right. You know, someone may be doing it subconsciously. Mm-hmm. I would say that's the vast majority of cases. People are doing I've it subconsciously. I've seen a scenario like that where someone was using a Ouija uh, board uh, blindfolded, and then you're absolutely right. Gibberish was spelt out. But yeah. Sure. Uh, listen, I. I um, but, and I've stated this on the program. Uh, I do believe in an unseen world. I. I believe in. Uh, dimensions, uh, an angelic realm, a demonic realm, uh, and who's who's to say that they uh, that the demons, for example, or or low entity spirits wouldn't use something like a talking board, as they used to be called, uh, to right. you know to cause mischief. All right, Drew. Thank you for that. Right, I appreciate the my call. Pleasure. Have a good weekend, uh, Richard. Bye. Likewise. All right, let's say hi to, uh, now Earl in Oakville says he saw Elvis in 1984. Well, Earl, give That's me details. Right, Richard. I was anorexic and in the hospital, the old Oakville Trafalgar Hospital. I was in the Lawson building. One night, um, I was watching television, there was a woman in the room with me, and this gentleman comes comes into, by just past the room, we're in the hallway where I'm looking, and he's in a, uh, in a sweat sweatshirt and a pair of slacks, and he goes to this other room, and I look, at, I look at this guy, he's about 50 years old, and he looks exactly like Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, holy smokes, man. I I mean, if I didn't see it for myself, I, and he was heavy, too. Right. He's about 260, 280 pounds. And it must have been him, Earl. There's no other yeah. <laughs> possible conclusion that you saw a man yeah, in sweatpants. Yeah, I sighting. said Elvis sighting and something else. Eh? Now, why would Elvis... Be in yeah, a hospital in Oakville. Well, he was visiting a friend in the because it was the Lawson Building, and that's where us patients were. That okay. I was, I was anorexic. They were weighing me every week to make sure I was gaining weight. Right. I was ninety something pounds, Richard. Oh my. Yeah, I had I had to gain some weight. They wouldn't let me out of the hospital. Well, you obviously you uh, you're still here, so you beat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um. A long time ago, it's hard, you know, to re- recollect all that. But um, well, 1984, yeah, you saw like Elvis. Elvis. Right? He looked like a 50. It was Elvis's 50th birthday that uh, night. And, yes, uh, he would have been around 50. So he obviously, been 50. He, obviously, yeah. he took time off from the Burger King in Kalamazoo, <laughs> Michigan, and he came up to visit a sick friend in Oakville. Hey, oh, why not? Uh, this is the Earl segment of the show. <laughs> it is indeed, Earl. Always uh, a pleasure. Thank you for that. Uh, all right. Paul is in Oshawa with uh, our weekly UFO sighting uh, roundup. Paul, welcome. How are you? Hi, Richard. Happy 150. Thank you for taking the call. My the pleasure. And I did, I did check out your latest photographs uh, that, um, that you sent me. And uh, this was this, this shiny, glimmering object. 
Now, first of all, it took me a while to find it in the original photograph. It was pretty small. But then I saw it, and then I saw the close-ups, and um, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's, there's something there, definitely. But is that an artifact? Uh, when, you, when you zoom in on something like that, you know, with a, with a, what kind of camera did you use, first of all? I used a, can, a Canon SX-70. And what kind of lens? Uh, it's, it's got a, uh, a 30x zoom. Okay. And, uh, those pictures you have there, the object was sighted about half a mile away. Right. To the north. Um, just to give you the story. Okay. I, uh, I gotta, I gotta run. We'll take a break here. Hold on, Paul. Sure. And, uh, when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll hear from Paul in Oshawa and, uh, we, what is becoming kind of a weekly segment. Uh, this guy sees more UFOs. In an hour, than Kenneth Arnold saw in a lifetime. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. There's the man right there on the cover of Mad as Hell, George Norrie, standing by. He'll join us momentarily. And he is back in uh, Los Angeles preparing for uh, Coast to Coast as we speak. All right. uh, Open lines now until the uh, bottom of the hour. Before we get back to Paul in Oshawa, who's uh, sharing his latest uh, UFO experience, and he sent me a bunch of photographs. And um, I got to tell you, there's something going on there. I mean, these ones, the close-up of this object that he saw, hovering from about a half a mile away. Um, I don't know. It, it, it looks, it's not, a, it's not a plane, it's not a helicopter, it's not a bird. Uh, there's something going on there, is all I'm saying. And I don't, I'm, not, um, I'm not prepared to tell you that it's um, an alien uh, piloted spacecraft. But uh, uh, anyway, I want to share this with you. Uh, I just found this funny. Uh, Mojo family, uh, good friends of the, uh, the program down in Colorado. And... Um, he tweets, uh, I, I think it's uh, Daddy from Mojo Family, he says, I was a bit rushed, and once again, I tweeted TCM remote, which is Turner Classic Movies. <laughs> All right, that's uh, TCS remote is uh, the conspiracy show, and if you, do to- uh, if you do tweet TCM remote, yes, it would probably go to uh, Turner Classic Movies, and right now, they're scratching their head saying, what the heck is going on? All right, let's uh, say hi to uh, Paul once again in Oshawa. Uh, so, Paul, the backstory of this, uh, when was this photograph taken? It was on July 8th, 2016. Okay. Which, coincidentally, was the Roswell anniversary that I found uh, 69 years ago that year. All right. Um, was Roswell so, on the 16th? I thought it was um, like the... F- July 8th. It was, uh, yeah, was the July time. 8th, right. Okay. So, uh, normally I go out for break in the afternoon with some people and... I was chatting with uh, three people when I came out, and two went in. So there was me and the one fellow left. And then about after five minutes, uh, to the north, we could, I could clearly see an object come down from the sky, level out about 100 to 150 feet high, moving towards the west. And I alerted the co-worker, and I said, quick, run with me. And we ran through the parking lot to the north about 70 yards and stopped. And I started filming it, and it took me a couple of minutes for him to see it. And he could confirm he could see it. And what we could see was a dark 
uh, object, roundish, flashing a very brilliant white light. It stayed stationary as uh, we finally reached there watching it. He could see it. And uh, every 30 seconds to a minute, it started to go up higher in elevation, straight up. Let me ask uh, you, Paul, where, do you, where is this place? I know you work in Oshawa. You don't have to give me the company name, but, I mean, every time no, you go no, for a break. No, I, I you live go, in Oshawa. I work in Scarborough. Okay. But every time you go out for a break. Area, is that the Warden and Eglinton area? It's an industrial area of uh, different uh, Warden companies. and Eglinton. Okay, I know the area. I can picture it in my mind's eye. Um, yeah. And uh, so, but, but every time you go out for a break, above your building, there seems to be... A UFO. I mean, are you, de- are you involved in the uh, with a defense contractor or something? What's going on? I don't know what to tell you. I just uh, have an eye for looking up in the sky, uh, and at times, uh, you know, they pop out uh, within you know uh, sheer minutes. And a lot of them have been slow uh, and high, and uh, shape have been different. Be it round, be it long, right. So uh, every, even vertical. Everyone at work must refer you to as the UFO guy, right? I mean, you must be known throughout the company as the guy who sees UFOs. Yeah, some somebody there has uh, marked my department as uh, Area Fifty One. Is that right? Yeah. And and so now, when you go out for a break, do people tend to want to come out there with you because they think they may get to see a UFO? I have a couple of interested people who do want to come out and see. And, you know, everybody, uh, you know, is doing their own thing when it comes to break. So um, I, I, the, the couple of guys I'm talking about, uh, both of the witnesses actually for this sighting have seen uh, two others with me. All right. And you, you took these photos that you sent me. Yes, I did. And do your coworkers take photographs as well? Uh, one has attempted and he brought his camera once, but he hasn't brought it since. Uh, I always have my camera with me. I always take it to work, and uh, I get excited when I see a clear sky. And, uh, you know, uh, the frequency in 2016, uh, I saw 60 sightings. I kept record. 60 and that was, sightings. that was the highest I've seen ever since I really took notes since 2003. 60 sightings. That must be some kind of a record for one individual. It is for me. And... Uh, Today, uh, I had a sighting. I'm up to 25, so I may be breaking the record from last year. You've seen 25 UFOs in 2017. In, in 2017, yeah. And all in, in, in and around your workplace in Scarborough? Uh, and also in Oshawa. Where you live? Yes. Any videotape? I mean, the, and I, you, you send me uh, a lot of JPEGs, photographs. And I, so forth. I did attach a, a video clip for that particular sighting, which you'll get oh, did briefly. you? For five or six seconds, if you oh. slow it down to point two five speed, you will see the object. Oh, hang on! You 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 uh, you posted this on YouTube, didn't you? Yes. Okay, so if I click on the this, link, the link is sent uh, in the email with the first batch of pictures I sent you uh, just uh, about a half an hour ago. I sent you the originals with the uh, full uh, MBs because the other ones were kind of poor. I wanted to give you more clarity on the originals, so. When you review those, you'll find them much better. Okay, now I've just opened up the YouTube, and I'm going to look at it here. It is kind of shaky. Okay, there's something above the hydro line, the hydro wires. Okay, it's now it's, yeah, it was there for a very short time. Hang on. Yes, Let me back that's up. why you would have to slow it down at point. Oh, I see. There it is. There uh, it is. On the speed to get a better look at it. It's very sort of spherical, and uh, it's sort of descending, and then you lose it. You lose sight of it. Did you lose sight of it, or did it disappear? 
No, that's that's just uh, because you're you're trying to zoom in such, such a great distance and it's moving. Right. And there, unfortunately, I don't have an eyepiece on this camera, uh. and I I wasn't using a tripod either. Uh, I, I may be inclined to maybe start bringing a tripod to work. Not a bad idea uh, because you know you're seeing these things with such frequency. Now the key is for you to capture you know high quality visual evidence, and whether it's uh, a video or or a photo or a, ca- a photograph, a still photograph. I mean, the key is to have you know the best possible uh, resolution and so forth. So. Yeah. Be upgrading my cameras too. All right, Paul. Always a pleasure and uh, fascinating as always. And I have to, I have to commend you. The latest uh, round of uh, photographs that you sent me, I saw something. There's definitely something there. I have better coming to you next week. All right. You should put out a coffee table book or something. So prolific. All right, Paul in Oshawa with his uh, weekly roundup of UFO sightings. Twenty-seven in one week. Can you believe that? Now, Albert, what do you make of? You haven't seen any of these. Uh, I should forward these to you. You haven't seen these photographs, have you? No, I haven't seen them yet. But I was wondering what, who he would think the occupants are. And if he has a way to summon them, then he, he should go to the next level, try, try to, you know, say hello. Now, you, how, many, how many UFOs have you seen? Can you top 27 in—no, 20, in, 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 uh, you know, 60 is his record. Yeah, yeah. See, that's—I uh, I like Valet where he goes, you know— Jacques Valet? Yeah. Close encounters of the third kind. If you've got to get to who's the occupant, and then yeah, but say I asked help. you how many have you seen? Um, see, I'm still trying to work with Victor on breaking that story. So, so like the free energy is there, and it just keeps getting suppressed. He's so, dodging my question, Ryan. <laughs> I asked him how many. It's a pretty black and white question. How many UFOs do you believe you've seen? I I, I know one for certain where okay. it's the occupant, and they they uh, abducted a woman, and. It, You've took seen, her there and you've brought her the back. You've seen the UFO. I, I was able to summon it, yeah. All right. All right, there. There you go. Why are you holding out on me, Albert? I, the, the, the problem is, is he, he doesn't want to say anything. The, 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 the problem is to get... Whoops, sorry. <laughs> I'm not the one holding out. <laughs> no, no, but, but you, you haven't talked to me about this before. I, I, no, we've talked about it on the air many, many times. About you seeing a woman... Being abducted by a UFO. She, she she went to the planet where they have zero point energy. She knows how it works, and and now her her lips are sealed. But that's that's her her claim though. But you you yeah. saw the same UFO. Correct. All right. Well, we'll have to talk about that again. All right. When we come back, George Norrie is with us. Mad as hell. America's number one all night radio host takes on the dangerous world we live in. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. One of the things that uh, Coast to Coast AM host George Norrie and I have in common is a deep appreciation for the uh, 1976 film Network, written by a real pioneer, Paddy Chayefsky, uh, directed by Sidney Lumet, Starring, of course, the late Peter Finch, uh, who plays the mad prophet of the airwaves, Howard Beale. And, of course, his immortal line in the movie, I'm as mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. It's right up there among the most memorable lines in film history. And Mad as Hell happens to be the title of George Norrie's seventh book. The host of the nationally syndicated program Coast to Coast AM is broadcast to more than 600 radio stations, streamed over the Internet to millions of people every night. 
And he joins us live from Los Angeles, where he's preparing to host Coast to Coast AM in just about 30 minutes' time. George Norrie, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Richard, my partner and friend, it's great to be on your show. I'm excited about this. Well, congratulations on Mad as Hell. But i got to ask you, you're such an affable person. It's hard. I mean, I've, I've heard you on the air a few times get angry, but not like seething mad. You're not like Howard Beale kind of raging, you know, at the uh, at the world. What what caused you to want to, you know, to speak out and, and sort of exercise your anger in this book? I want people to wake up, Richard. It, it's it's time that people stop and just realize that this planet, this country, the United States especially, is an amazing country, just amazing, with our Canadian brothers, of course, to the north. But it's time that people start fighting for their rights and stop this nonsense that seems to be permeating all over the place. Uh, I'm embarrassed. You know, the, the constituents voted for Donald Trump. He's our elected president. He needs to do presidential things. I'm as mad as hell when I see what he's doing with his tweets and all this other stuff and this wrestling bout he did with CNN, this little video yes. punching out a, somebody, and they put the, they blocked the CNN thing on the guy's face to make it look like he's fighting CNN. It, it comes a time where you've got to say, enough is enough. We're going through some very difficult times on this planet and in this country, and we need to fix these things. Let's stop playing games. And that's one of the reasons I decided to write the book, Mad as Hell. Well, you, you talk about how, you know, America today is not the America that you grew up in and, or that your parents and grandparents grew up in. And they were your father, for example, part of what they called the greatest generation. And my father, too, served in the Second World War. Um, but you – we were talking earlier about, uh, about fake news and the Project Veritas uh, videos and CNN and so forth. Now, you – you were what the youngest program director at a radio station. I think you were like 12 or something. <laughs> it was, but, <laughs> youngest news director in a major market. Yes. 28 years old. Uh, I had left Detroit where I was an executive news producer and uh, made my way to Minnesota, Minneapolis, where a television station hired me to try to fix their alien news department. Hmm. And, you know, and I, I've, been, I've been a news person, Richard, really all my life. The talk radio stuff, we can get into that, came later, but, you know, that's what I am. I'm an Emmy Award-winning news person. Exactly. You know, I know production. I know television news. And, uh, you know, I've done it uh, really since I was 19 years old. So what's changed, George? How did we get to where we're at now? Is it, is it uh, you know, the, the, the business model broke, and so they started hiring young people who really don't know their history? What happened? Money has changed. Uh, look at newspapers, for example, where we really used to have budgets for hard-lined news reporters who would do investigative work, and the newspaper would spend the money to turn them loose to do that, not only nationally, but locally, in, in little cities all over the country. Uh, newspapers would devote time in that market to let their reporters do some real solid journalism. They don't have money to do that anymore. The Internet has killed the budgets of newspapers. Um, I'm surprised we still have newspapers, you know, and who knows what's going to happen in the next five years. But money has been a major factor. Technology has affected it. And what has happened now is they've hired well-intentioned young people out of school and out of college, 
throwing them into situations where they don't have the kind of experience they need. And consequently, they run with these stories. I mean, uh, when I was 19 and 20 years old working on stuff in Detroit, I was told you check, double check, triple check these stories before you put them on the air. Even even if they were fires in a in a house, you know, you just didn't run with the first thing that you were told. And I think what's happening today is some of these young, well-intentioned reporters uh, are jumping on and, you know, they're going with stories, they're not checking the facts, and they're getting caught. And consequently, you know, a lot of people call it fake news. There's a difference between inaccurate reporting and fake news. Fake news, of course, is just simply making up a story, putting it on social network and seeing how far it can go. That happens, and that's dangerous, too. But by and large, uh, you know, the budgets have been slashed, and so we don't have the hard-hitting, well-paid reporters anymore. So we have to rely on inexperience. And with an inexperienced people, you're going to get mistakes. Uh, talk to me about the the erosion of, of faith that people today seem to have, not only in an institution like the Fourth Estate, but you, you look at the, uh, the, the, uh, the lack of of support for Congress, I think it's around 11 or 12 percent. Yeah, it's horrible. Uh, I mean, are, is, does this frighten you, or is this a, this distrust for our institutions? I mean, is this an unhealthy thing, or is it a healthy thing? Well, it's it's a healthy thing. I think you have to distrust. You have to. You cannot accept everything with a grain of salt. You have to question, and you have to look at everything. What has happened now, and you know, the reason why Donald Trump got elected president was one, Hillary Clinton ran a lousy campaign, but two, people were fed up with politicians. And he's not a politician. He's a businessman. And they wanted change. They wanted something different. Well, they sure did get something different. But that was that was the reason why he got elected. People wanted something different. And I think that shows in the popularity, the lack of popularity in Congress right now. You and I both delve into to conspiracies. It's an interesting field, and I, I think you know we'd be in agreement that saying that everything is a conspiracy is about as useful as saying that nothing is a conspiracy. Uh, but one of the things I find that happens is people have a genuine a concern, something that there's some evidence out there for. Let's say, for example, weather modification and chemtrails. Uh, and we can't have a healthy discussion about something like chemtrail spraying because the moment you do, you get shouted down as a conspiracy theorist. I know you write about weather modification in, in, in Mad as Hell. You touch on it. What, what, are your, what are your personal thoughts? I don't think I've ever heard you weigh in. I haven't heard you uh, talk about your belief in chemtrails. Are they real? Something's happening. I mean, I wish we could have pilots go public and tell us, hey, you know what, I picked up a load of this chemical, and I'm spraying it, and I'm spraying it either to modify the weather or dumb people down or doing whatever it's supposed to do. But I don't think it's just jet you know, fumes coming and emitting from planes that are flying every day. I mean, there are some days you will look up, the sky is clear, and then in uh, two or three hours you've got these tic-tac-toe patterns all over the place. And if it was just coming from jet you know, trails... Those planes fly every day the same pattern. You'd get that every day, and we're not. We're not getting that. It'd be Something's nice. going on. Yeah, it'd be nice to have an honest discussion about it, and, and I think there's a Pulitzer Prize waiting for somebody out there who wants to do a real investigative, hard-hitting piece on it. George, stay with us. George Norrie, Mad as Hell, his seventh book. 
and he's uh, getting ready to host Coast to Coast again tonight. We'll talk about what's in store for the uh, listeners on Coast to Coast as well. Stay with us. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. And uh, George Norrie is with us from Coast to Coast AM, his seventh book, Mad as Hell. And it's a far-reaching book. He touches on UFOs and asteroids and EMPs and the paranormal. And uh, the thing is, what George, I think, prides himself on is just laying out the facts as he knows them and allowing listeners, or in this case, the readers, uh, to decide for themselves. I want to talk to you about... Uh, something I know that um, has you exercised and has for a number of years, and that is uh, the United States' lack of uh, preparation for an EMP, whether it's a, a nuclear device uh, exploded in the uh, the low atmosphere or a solar flare, uh, that by some estimates, an EMP could knock out the U.S. power grid system uh, for years and years and years. You could be looking at 90% fatality rate within one year. Any progress on that, uh, uh, George? Richard, they, they are. They're making some progress. They're taking baby steps, but there, uh, there is legislation that's being worked on that could insulate our power grid. This is something over the last three or four years we have been pushing heavily on coast to coast, uh, thanks in part by uh, two people, uh, William Forstjen and uh, F. Uh, Michael Maloof, who have written books on EMP attacks or solar flares from the sun. Uh, what a lot of people may not know is back in the 1800s, it's called the Carrington event, mm-hmm. the sun unleashed a massive X-flare. Uh, fortunately, we didn't have a lot of electronics going on at those in, at that time period. We did have the telegraph system, right. and it cooked it. It shut it down. Uh, an EMP attack, of course, is when a nation detonates a nuke high atop the atmosphere. And so there's no physical structural damage and there's no immediate deaths because of the bomb, but what it does is the electromagnetic pulse from the bomb shuts down your electrical power grid. And with that gone, just think of all the services that will go belly up. Everything goes. Your ATMs don't work. Your computers don't work. Everything goes crazy. And, you know, we have been pounding away at both of these issues, solar flares and EMPs, to get the power grid insulated in case one of these events happen, because our country is at risk, severe risk, if that happens. Just remember years ago when Canada had a power outage, it was a disaster for that portion of Canada. Right, right. You know, that was just a, a contained region. What would happen if the entire country went down for a year? They are estimating, as you mentioned, that 90% of the population that is hit by an EMP or solar flare that shuts out the power grid will die because of the lack of social services and services that you could not get. And yet, uh, up until recently, I didn't see anything. Um, I think it was on Fox News. I think T- Tucker Carlson did an interview with somebody on the uh, EMP threat, and he, he, he looked absolutely slack-jawed like he'd never heard this before. Something that such, represents such an existential threat to Western civilization. You would think they would be all over this. You would think so. And, you know, maybe one day we'll be vindicated when a legislator gets something passed and uh, says, you know what, I want to thank Coast to Coast for doing this and pushing this, because I wasn't aware of it until they told us about it, and uh, and we get this thing done. But it's it's critical. I mean, we are so tied into electricity now and the grid, everything we do relies on it. 
I don't understand for several billion dollars, that's all it would take to fix a grid, why companies that exist on the Internet, like Amazon and Microsoft and people like that who make their money strictly because of the existence of the Internet, aren't spending money to help do this, because when that goes, their business is toast. Speaking of technology, I want to get your take on on something that I I, I believe is also an existential threat uh, to our economy and our way of life, and that has to do with things like artificial intelligence. They're talking about driverless cars. There's like something like 5 million Americans make their living driving a truck, Uh, and we already have seen such, you know, woeful uh, labor participation rates, this is going to have a a devastating effect on the workforce. And yet nobody seems to be talking about it, at least, you know, in in Washington or or here in Ottawa. It would be horrible. And first of all, I'm not getting in a car with with no driver, let me tell you. Uh, I enjoy driving. Uh, There are a lot of bad drivers wherever I go, but it's it's better than having uh, a car with no driver. And what happens if something technologically goes wrong with that car? Somebody hacks into it or something like that happens. And, you know, you're stuck in the back seat and there's nobody in the front driving it. You're up a creek. You're, you know, it's history for you. I am not getting in a car without a driver. Not going to happen. The other... Um the other um, issue, I think, that uh, is not being discussed, it's certainly discussed on, on Coast to Coast and, and programs like this, and that is the whole transhumanist uh, movement. And this is another thing that's uh, very worrying to me. It's this attitude from the scientific community that just because we can, we should, and we will. Uh, and the idea of, of uh, messing around with what it means to be human, uh, quite frankly, it scares me to death. How about you? Mixing animal parts and human parts and having uh, three people make a baby genetically, all that uh, is playing around with Mother Nature, and it's very, very dangerous. You know, if God wanted us to be able to do all these things, we would have been born that way, and we're not. And I just don't get why they are experimenting with things like that, making uh, chimeras uh, half, half human, half animal. It's an abomination as far as I'm concerned, Richard, and... If they don't stop, I think something devastating is going to happen. I know tonight on uh, Coast to Coast, you're going to be talking uh, with someone who's uh, talking about the resurrecting the woolly mammoth. What do you What do you feel about that? How do you, is that messing with nature, or is that something that we should try and do? Cloning. Yeah, you know, you have to decide if cloning is is well worth doing. Um, if it's done, I'm not opposed to cloning if it's pure and natural. Um, I, I don't like mixing breeds and, you know, mixing people and things like that. But uh, I'm really not that opposed to the cloning of, uh, of a species that might have gone extinct as long as it's, it's, it's pure. The problem is, is I think when you clone, you have to use an egg of a species of today, whether it's a frog egg or whatever, in order to generate that other species. So that could be dangerous, too. Right. I mean, it, it may look like a woolly mammoth, but I suppose genetically it wouldn't be a true woolly mammoth. Still, it, it might, would be cool. It might be an elephant with hair. Right. You know? <laughs> it still, it would be cool to see woolly mammoths traipsing across the Great Plains once again. George Norrie is with let's us. Let's call it Jurassic Park. Exactly. Mad as Hell, his uh, seventh book. And... Um, 
uh, I want to, you spend a lot of time obviously talking about UFOs because that's a, a huge subject area that's covered on coast to coast. Now, as someone who has, you know, toiled uh, in the uh, the vineyards as a journalist for many years, and I'm, I'm guessing you still have many, many colleagues who are journalists, what do you say to them if the conversation ever comes up about the way the mainstream media covers the whole UFO ET issue? We talk about that a lot. And... Uh, the mainstream media years ago did handle this a little more diplomatically and a little more seriously. It does not anymore. Uh, over the past five, ten years, it's almost being done with ridicule, ha-ha. Uh, and one of the reasons for that, Richard, is we really don't have the hard evidence, the hard proof of uh, ETs or visitations. So we have great witness testimony, uh, but and the governments may possess something, a craft that crashed or something. But in terms of hard evidence that the public can see and feel and touch, we don't have that. And so it's very difficult to convince people, media-wise or anybody else, hey, this is a real situation. It's, it's really happening. Our approach on Coast to Coast is that we present the story, let people make up their own mind. It's a vast universe. I don't think we're alone in the universe. The big question is, have they been able to come here? And if you look at some of the work of the late Zechariah Sitchin, where he believes that uh, extraterrestrials came here, seeded us, you know, they basically became the initial gods uh, because they wanted worker bees, and that was what they created us for. But it's pretty compelling, and it's fascinating, and it's well worth listening to other people talk about this. But we need some more hard evidence. You, you don't uh, you know, talk about your, your faith, and I'm not going to try to pin you down here, but I'm wondering if you're ever conflicted by uh, topics that come up on the, on the program because maybe they don't square with, with your, your personal faith. Maybe something to do with the paranormal or uh, you know, maybe, maybe it has to do with UFOs and ETs. For example, you know, if, if, there's a, if there's a god... Uh, what does that say about UFOs and the existence of life on other planets when we're supposed to be unique in the universe? Never conflicted. I'll have people on the show that uh, share my views. I'll have people on my show that don't share my views. Very rarely will you get my dictatorial presence of, of how I feel about something. I'm not going to ram it down your throat. I want you to decide. So when we talk about life after death, which is going to be a segment on Coast to Coast tonight, um, I'm not going to tell you, you know, there is life after death or there isn't life after death. It's the same with the flu vaccine. I'm not going to tell you to get the shot or not get the shot. I will tell you what I do. I don't get the shot and I haven't had the flu in God knows how long. But you decide what you want to do for yourself. And that's what we do with just about every topic on Coast to Coast. I'm not going to tell you there's a God. I'm not going to tell you there isn't a God. You decide when you hear from our different guests who talk about this in different ways. The vaccine issue is such a, a touchy area. I mean, it's one of those things that you can get yourself taken off a Christmas card list if you're, you know, you're talking to the wrong people about it. Um, again, going back to your, you know, your colleagues in, in the mainstream media, uh, if that topic ever comes up, I mean, do you ever, do you ever feel like you're, you're being 
maybe chastised because of some of the topics that you broach, like vaccines? Because according to them, the science is in on vaccines, right? They're safe and they're effective. Well, then we bring out scientists who talk about the possibility of uh, autism and other uh, afflictions caused by multiple vaccines. And then all of a sudden, those people who are skeptical, um, they don't have much room to jump. And uh, they, they become defensive. Um, so, you know, I will just present the views. People can make up their own mind, like climate change. You can't win the argument. No. But what you can do is point out to people, hey, this planet has had higher CO2 levels during the dinosaur era. We didn't have factories then. And when you start talking in terms of that, it's hard for them to answer it. George, you know, thank God for for programs like Coast to Coast because there aren't many spaces left where you can have these kind of conversations anymore because everyone else is just operating in their own echo chamber. Uh, George, absolutely, Richard, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, we we are what you do, what I do. It's uh, very rare, and we have to keep doing it. We have to carry the torch because eventually it's going to pay off for everybody. Well, you got a show to do, my friend. Uh, yes, sir. In the meantime, congratulations on Mad as Hell, your seventh book, and uh, we'll listen to you on Coast to Coast in mere moments. And in time, we'll listen to you again, filling in for me. End of the month. Thank you, George. Thanks, Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. George Norrie. My thanks to Ian Roberts and Albert Vinzel, Ryan White, as always, for their terrific work. program wouldn't be possible without them, and I don't tell them that nearly enough. And that'll be the last time I tell them this year. Just kidding. Thanks, guys. All right, back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.